Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Our special guests, Peter and Will Anderson, have been called virtuosos on clarinet and saxophone by the New York Times. Peter Anderson and Will Anderson are jazz musicians, composers, arrangers, performing and recording artists. They're not only known for their distinct interpretations of classic jazz songs, they also record and perform their own compositions. As you may have noticed, they're both named Anderson, and that is because they are identical twins, which is a first for this program. So it's a great pleasure to welcome these very talented artists. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, Paul. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, what is it about jazz music that draws you guys in? Well, that's a great question. Um, We were first introduced to jazz when we were about seven years old. And um, our parents are are big jazz fans, although they're not musicians. Um, And uh, we were... We were together, and we were we were watching TV, and there was a, a commercial on the on the television, and it was for Chips Ahoy cookies, and uh, the soundtrack was Benny Goodman's Sing Sing Sing, and uh, I don't know if it was the chocolate chips or or what was going on in our heads, but we were attracted immediately to to the music, and um, I think you know the really special thing about jazz is how um, individual each voice is, each performer is, and how distinct they become when they kind of develop their own style. So, you know, I, I, I say to people sometimes how my brother Peter and I are, are very alike physically, um, and there's a lot of our, um, our colleagues and friends who can't tell us apart by our looks, but once they hear us play jazz music, they can tell us apart. Hmm. How interesting. <laughs> so you all went to Juilliard. Yeah, that's right. We uh, we attended our uh, and we completed our bachelor's and master's degrees there, and uh, we loved it. What would you say, each of you, was the most important or the most poignant thing that you learned there? Wow, that's that's a that's a uh, broad question. Um, I think one of the things that we, you know, we expected to go to Juilliard and and learn a lot from all the great faculty members. That's where you pick out your teachers, and you certainly do, uh, believe me. We had a lot of great teachers. But I would say we learned an equal amount from our peers, um, the students that were there. And, you know, uh, this is something we didn't really expect uh, when we went there. We were focused on the faculty, but... It kind of it, it kind of underscores the, the whole you know our interest in jazz because jazz you learn from collaborating with people from playing with with people you can't just listen to recordings you have to get to rehearsal get on stage and kind of interact with other musicians who are like minded and that's how you learn so that's the biggest thing I think we learned at Juilliard was just collaborating with other people our age who are interested in the same stuff we were that's how you grow. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, you know, we part of when we wanted to go to school and, and leave high school, we really wanted to go to New York City. So just being 
you know, thrown into, into Manhattan when we were 18 years old was an education in itself. Um, you know, pretty much every night we were out hearing, you know, legendary jazz performers. We were going to uh, jam sessions at the jazz clubs, you know, until three or four in the morning. And then, you know, at 9 a.m. we had to be at class the next morning. So it was uh, it was quite an experience. And we were, you know, burning the candle at both ends for sure. I was on your website. And for all the listeners, it's peterandwillanderson.com. There's some pictures of you guys with some very, very legendary people. Quincy Jones, for example. I'm curious, has there been anybody that you can tell us about that you've been intimidated by? Yeah, I mean, that's well, I guess when you move, when you first move to New York and you're and you're a young kid, it, it can be very intimidating. And you know, at first when you first go up to try to meet one of these musicians or something, you kind of make a fool of yourself and and it's very nerve-wracking. But over over time, you just kind of discover that all, all these musicians, they're just like you, you know, they're just interested in the music, they're trying to play they're trying to have a good time. Um, they're trying to work hard and, and, and get better. And there's not so much a divide, you know. I remember when my, my my brother and I first met Kenny Barron, this pianist. We were like, oh, he played on all these Dizzy Gillespie and Stan Getz recordings. He's probably, you know, is too good for us and won't won't interact with us. And then we discovered he's a great guy. He, he gave us lessons. He encouraged us. Um, he's a great teacher, and then he ended up playing on one of our recordings, and you know, still to this day, we remain in, in contact with him. So, you just learn that the, the the music community is just very like warm, and it's not as competitive as it seems. People are always willing to share ideas and collaborate. I'm hoping you all can tell us about this residency that you're in the middle of. It's called the Songbook Summit. And it's at Symphony's Face. And I'm hoping you can just tell us a little bit about that. Great, sure. Well, yeah, we're currently in the middle of our third week out of uh, four weeks at Symphony's Face. And we're doing eight shows a week. Uh, and we've decided to showcase uh, four different great American songbook composers. The first week, we presented Irving Berlin. The second week, we presented Jerome Kern. Uh, week three is Hoagie Carmichael. And week four is Jimmy Van Heusen. So we've picked, you know, four of these songwriters who we've been learning their songs since we've been, you know, learning music. And uh, it's really great to, to really delve into their style and, you know, just their lives and everything that kind of influenced their writing to kind of just find out about more about how they were different and, and, you know, who influenced them and which artists, you know, played their music. And so we're, we're presenting these shows that's, you know, mostly music, but also um, a little bit historical about the lives of these composers. And we're, we're featuring some uh, movie clips of musicians that played their music and just kind of really bring the audience into the world of these composers. And, you know, we've really had a blast doing it. We, we presented a show last year that was kind of similar. We did four different composers. And so this particular year is our 
kind of second year in a row presenting uh, Songbook Summit. I think it's interesting that you're including a little bit about the people themselves, not just their music. Mm. A little bit of the biography. Definitely. Yeah, well, I think I think it, you know, it comes out of their music, you know, just finding out about, you know, when they were growing up, who they were influenced by, you know, what other composers they idolized. It really it really helps us and the audience kind of understand the music better. Has there been anything that you've learned about one of these composers that you thought was very interesting or was maybe surprising? Well, I mean, where do I begin? Well, I, I think something particularly interesting that, that I, you know, I didn't know until recently, but, you know, a lot of these composers are um, self-taught. And uh, I think in particular, Irving Berlin has, a, has an incredible life story. And, you know, Irving Berlin was a Russian immigrant. He grew up on the Lower East Side uh, in a very poor upbringing. Irving Berlin didn't read or write music for basically his entire career. He could play the piano in kind of a in, in kind of a hack way. Um, he could only play in one key on the piano. He just used the black keys, and he had uh, secretaries who helped you know write out his music. And I, I just thought that was incredibly fascinating because. He has ears to compose the most sophisticated music that you know America has ever known, but he couldn't write it or read it. So I, I found that very fascinating. Has there been one of the weeks that you're you know I know you're not you're not to the last week yet, but has there been a week that was the most enjoyable? Well, they've all been great. I mean, uh, we started off with Irving Berlin, uh, who was really really a thrill to play his music. And um, we actually had Irving Berlin's daughter come to the show. So wow. she's in her 90s. And that was kind of a thrill. Both her, both Irving's daughter and granddaughter attended the show. So that was kind of a thrill. Yeah, the, the music was great. I'd say, I'd say we're now in Hoagy Carmichael. This fourth week when we do Jimmy Van Heusen is going to be really great because unlike the other composers, Van Heusen's name is not like a household name. And it's not known as well, but what people don't know is like his songs are very popular. So of any composer, Frank Sinatra recorded more Van Heusen compositions than any other composer. He recorded 80 of his songs. So songs like uh, Come Fly With Me, Polka Dots and Moonbeams, Ain't That a Kick in the Head, All the Way, Like Someone in Love, I Thought About You. There's just like a ton of songs. And... He has an interesting life. Uh, he flew planes uh, during World War II, and yeah, so it's it, it's. Um, I think this particular one, the name's not so well known, but the songs are. I think people are gonna, for that reason, find it very interesting. We're joined by Peter and Will Anderson. I want to turn the topic of discussion a little bit to your own compositions. What's the process that you all use when you're writing your own songs? Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, we, we, we've each uh, written and recorded dozens of, of our own songs. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's sort of like playing an instrument. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And like jazz, you kind of develop a vocabulary. 
you know, when we when we learn to improvise in jazz, it's much like learning a language. You know, we learn the words and the prepositions that connect the words and nouns and verbs and adjectives, and we kind of learn this. We learn this language, and uh, composing songs is is very much like that. Also, like really, what we think about when we compose is who are we writing for? So, are we writing for what kind of ensemble? Are we writing for our friends? Maybe we. Maybe I know my brother's style on the alto really well, so I'm going to write him an alto part that that suits him. So it's it's really. It's really not necessarily about just composing something that you pick out of the air, but more thinking, what's the purpose of the song? Uh, do you want to write a very high-energy song? Do you want to write like a love song, a ballad? So we try to, we try to imagine what, what effect this is going to have on the audience and what we want the listener to feel when we're writing. Now, have you all ever co-composed something written together? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something we've kind of talked about doing. We don't really co-compose a song like my brother writes the melody and I write the chords. But we definitely have input. You know, when whenever we write, we bring the compositions to one another and Will makes a suggestion about my compositions and I make a suggestion about his compositions. But I'd say we don't. Uh, really like uh, sit there together and compose it together. I was going to tell you all something kind of funny. The other day I was I was talking to my friend Ronald at this cafe, and he always asks me, who do you have coming on? It's almost the first question he always asks me. And I said, well, we have Peter and Will Anderson coming on, and uh, they're jazz musicians. And he said they have the same last name. I said, yeah, they're they're actually it's kind of interesting. They're twins, <laughs> and he says, "Really? Are they brothers too?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we often get asked, "Oh, are you twins? So does that mean you have the same birthday?" <laughs> oh God, you're kidding! Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't end there. It's like uh, uh, they just ask all these questions about about twins that. Uh, so so when when your brother thinks something, do you know what he's thinking? And all these and people actually think that's like a serious question. But no, we're actually separate people, and we can't mind read. Uh, otherwise, we would be uh, I don't know traveling the world and reading people's minds. But <laughs> but no, I think I think uh, Will Will and I have like a unique connection because we've studied a lot of the same music. We've had a lot of the same experiences and had a lot of the same teachers and things like that but we are individuals and we do have separate preferences but uh, we do have a, a definitely a big uh, connection in music you know we have similar similar influences and preferences so what's coming up in the future are there any aspirations or dreams that you guys are working on oh well um we've uh, we've got, well, directly after the show, we're going to be, um, touring the West coast for about, uh, three weeks. We're going up to, um, Seattle and Vancouver and then going all the way down to LA. So that's really exciting. We're looking forward to that. And then, uh, an another kind of, uh, project that's coming up is we're going to be performing with a string orchestra and 
for, for this particular uh, concert, we're going to be paying tribute to Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw and kind of exploring the, the aesthetic of their music through strings. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a wide variety of the, the different music that they performed. And, and, you know, as you know, Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw had kind of a lot of uh, classically infused songs. And so we're really going to kind of bridge the gap between classical and jazz music. And we're really excited about this new project and we're hoping to bring it around the country. I always like to end the interviews very open-ended. I just give the guests the stage, pretty much. Anyone can visit peterandwillanderson.com, but in closing, what would you like to say to anyone who's tuned in? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would just, um, I would just say, you know, if you're interested in jazz, and you know, jazz is such a subjective word today, it can mean, it can mean so many different things. Are you talking about Big Spiderbeck and Louis Armstrong? Are you talking about late John Coltrane and Mingus and Ornette Coleman? It, it, it really doesn't sound a lot the same. There's a, there's a broad spectrum. So I would say if you're, edu- if you're interested in jazz and you want to get more educated about it, I would say kind of listen to each one of these artists individually and start with the old stuff, you know, because that's, that's the stuff we're rooted in, and it's, it's, you know, like I would encourage the listeners to listen to Duke Ellington and listen to Louis Armstrong and listen to Benny Goodman and Teddy Wilson and kind of all these great musicians back in the, in, in the 30s and 40s. And then that might allow them to kind of listen more to the more modern contemporary musicians and, and, uh, and understand it better. That's certainly what we've done in our careers. I mean, I always like to tell my students, in order to develop as a contemporary musician, you have to learn what came before you. So Miles Davis listened to Louis Armstrong, you know, listened to Big Spiderbeck. And players today, like Wynton Marsalis, listened to Miles Davis, and he listened to all the trumpet players who came before in history. So, you know, jazz jazz is a big umbrella, and... Uh, you can't listen to one thing and decide if you like it or not. Yeah, and just to add on to my brother Peter, I think just like we've been kind of echoing before, I think the great thing about jazz music is that it's it's so elastic and it's so changeable. And it's why, you know, so many different cultures from Cuban music to Brazilian music to, you know, Asian music, you know, music from all around the world has, has really changed American jazz. And I think that's why the music has such wide appeal and, and it's so great. And I think that, you know, we're, 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 we're up against a lot with, with a lot of this uh, pop music being promoted so widely around the world. And, you know, we're really trying to educate people about why we think jazz is so special. And, you know, no doubt jazz music, just like classical music, is going to survive forever. And I think... What we're, you know, a lot of what we try to do, especially when we go, when we tour, we visit high schools and middle schools, and we just feel like people should be exposed to it at an early age, and that will make a, a huge difference in their lives. Peter Anderson, Will Anderson, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Paul. Thanks a lot for having us, Paul. It was my pleasure. All right, okay. gentlemen.
Great. Until next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Paul Leslie. Thanks for listening. Be good.